Al-Bayan Radio presents the following special presentation from Masjid Al-Azhar, Bilmo. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man ihtada bihudah. Amma ba'd. We continue, my dear brothers and sisters, with our two-day course regarding fasting and the month of Ramadan. And previously, we stopped uh, regarding our booklet or our notes on page 12. And we will be taking the adab or the manners of fasting. Because every act of worship in Islam has adab or etiquettes and manners regarding how to perform it. So we have the manners of fasting, things that the Muslim implements in order to perfect their worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if we take a look at the notes, the first of the manners of fasting is what is known as suhoor. And suhoor is the pre-dawn meal. The food and the drink that the Muslim eats before the Fajr of the day that they're fasting. And this is from the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And suhoor with the Dhamma on the scene. Su, suhoor. That's the action of eating at that time. That's what it's called, suhoor. As for sahur, with a fatha on the scene, sahur, that's the actual food that you eat at suhoor. So if I tell you, bring me sahur, I'm asking you for food that I can eat at suhoor. Understood? So the food that you eat at suhoor is called sahur, with a fatha. That's the difference between suhoor and sahur. Naam. In the hadith found in Bukhari, Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, he narrates that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, take suhoor or have suhoor as there is a blessing in it. So here, An-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is encouraging the ummah and highly recommending the ummah to implement this action of having suhoor. Why? Because there is barakah in it. And whatever brings barakah, the Muslim should aim for. So it is not from the adab it is not from the manners and the etiquettes of Islam that a person says, I don't want to have suhoor. 
We see this a lot. People say, I don't want to have suhoor. No. You should. Why? Because there is blessing in it. And there's a number of ahadith that talk about the virtue of suhoor. Even if it's having something light. But the Muslims should try their best to implement this sunnah. We also have the hadith of Amr ibn al-As radiallahu ta'ala anhu who reported the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said the difference between our fasting meaning the Muslims the difference between our fasting and that of the people of the scriptures ahlul kitab meaning the Jews and the Christians is the suhoor that's what differentiates our fasting from theirs. That's also showing you the fadl, the virtue of suhoor. It differentiates between the Muslims fasting and the fasting of the Yahud and the Nasara. And as we know, our religion is built upon this principle. Al-Mukhalafa, being different than the other nations. Our whole deen is based on that. There's a lot of things in Islam that we do in order to be different from others. Many ahadith where An-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, خَالِفُ الْيَهُودُ وَالنَّصَارَ Be different to the Jews and the Christians. Be different to the Jews and the Christians. For the suhoor is one of those things. And that's why it's special. It was given to this ummah only. But we should love to implement this sunnah. Okay, we have a, a mas'ala here. The sheikh says, if a person eats or drinks or has sexual intercourse, thinking that the sun has set or that fajr has not entered, and then realizes that's not the case. Does this break his fast? Commonly asked question. Someone eats or drinks or has sexual intercourse. Thinking. They genuinely think that the Maghrib has entered. Or that it's still not Fajr. Yani they think it's the night. It's not the time where they need to be fasting. So let's say someone broke their fast five minutes before Maghrib, but they thought it was Maghrib. Or someone kept eating suhoor past the Fajr, but they thought, they genuinely thought it wasn't Fajr yet. This happens a lot. We get asked this question a lot. Does this break the person's fast? No. It does not. Here he says, this does not break the fast. Why doesn't it break the fast? Because Allah Azza wa Jal has given general principles regarding a person that makes mistakes or forgets. Page 12. 
Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَلَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ فِي مَا أَخْطَأْتُمْ بِهِ وَلَكِمْ مَا تَعَمَّدَتْ قُلُوبُكُمْ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا This verse here is general for any type of forgetfulness or mistake. Allah Azza wa Jal says, there is no blame upon you. Say that. There is no blame upon you. For that in which you have erred, meaning made a mistake, but only what your heart's intended. What you do intentionally, you're held accountable for. But what you do from mistake, Allah says, لا جناح عليكم There is no blame on you. So something that's done unintentionally, Allah does not hold us accountable for it, and it is excused. And ever is Allah Azza wa Jal forgiving and merciful. We also have the hadith of Ibn Abbas, radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, who said that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Verily Allah Azza wa Jal has forgiven or pardoned for me, my ummah, their mistakes. And their forgetfulness and that which they have been forced to do under duress. Here, and Nabi Sallallahu is saying, Allah has forgiven and overlooked for my ummah these three things. Number one, their mistakes. Someone that does something out of mistake, Allah forgives it, He pardons it because it was unintentional. And their forgetfulness. I ate, I drank, I had forgotten. Here, Allah has overlooked, pardoned what they do out of forgetfulness and what they have been forced to do under duress. An enemy might force a Muslim to do something which is displeasing to Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah forgives it. He does not hold the Muslim accountable for it. This is from Allah's mercy that he does not Hold us accountable for what is out of our hands. رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَاخِذْنَا إِنَّ سِينَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا Our Lord, the, the dua in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah, Our Lord, do not hold us accountable if we forget or make a mistake. That's the beauty of Islam. And that is the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal. So my dear brothers and sisters, if a person happens to eat or drink while they are fasting, thinking that it's Maghrib or that Fajr has not entered, you continue fasting and your fast is correct. You continue fasting and your fast is correct. The next manners regarding or related to fasting is rushing to break the fast. This is the sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That when it is time to break fast, you don't delay it. You do not delay it. Some people, they have this issue. And they think that it's from deen and iman. That the mu'adhan is making adhan, but... I'm taking my time in breaking my fast. This is not from Islam. And it is not from the Sunnah. 
The sunnah is to break your fast as soon as it is time. As soon as the maghrib enters. We have the hadith here. In Muwatta al-Imam Malik. Yahya related to me from Malik, from Abu Hazim ibn Dinar, from Sahal ibn Sa'ad. As-Sa'di radiyallahu anhu that the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said people will remain in good as long as they are quick to break the fast. People will remain in good as long as they are quick to break their fast. Look here subhanallah and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is linking the goodness of the ummah, which is something huge. The people remain upright. That's huge. To say that the community is in a state of goodness, linking it to what? Them breaking their fast on time. That shows the importance and the significance of breaking your fast as soon as it is time. So the question is, when should the fasting person break his fast? Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu ta'ala anhu narrated that the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, when night falls from this side and the day vanishes from this side and the sun sets, then the fasting person should break his fast. When the sun sets, and the sun sets at the Adhan of Maghrib. Yeah? Not when the stars come out. When the stars come out, has nothing to do with Islam. This is from the sect of the Rafidah. It's from the practice of the Shia, the Rafidah, who delay breaking their fast until the stars come out. This is not the guidance of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet taught us to break our fast as soon as the sun sets, as the Hadith and Bukhari states. This is the Sunnah, and this is what the Muslim is required to do. The next Mas'ala what should a person or the fasting person break his fast on? It's time to break your fast. What should you break your fast on? First and foremost we say, no matter what you break your fast on, it's permissible. But there is sunnah. And the sunnah, the better. The sunnah, the better. The more sunnah you implement in your worship, the more rewarding it is. Always remember that. You might perform an act of worship and it's correct. But someone else might perform the same act and they get more reward. Why? Because they've implemented more sunnah in that worship. Just like salah. You can do salah with the obligatory actions. And your prayer is accepted. Someone else will do the same salah, but they implement more sunnah throughout that prayer. They'll get more reward. The more sunnah you do, the more reward. So breaking your fast on anything is permissible. No matter what. You might open a can of V and break your fast on it. Sahtan. Your fast is accepted. 
But if you want to implement the sunnah to get more reward, here. He says it is sunnah for one to break his fast on rutab before the maghrib prayer. So before you pray the maghrib, it's sunnah to break your fast on rutab. And rutab is fresh date before they dry. Okay? The fresh dates before they dry is called rutab. If he doesn't have rutab, then the sunnah is to break it on dates. The dried dates. The normal dates. And if he doesn't have that, then on a few sips of water. This is the sunnah. Where do we get this from? The hadith in Tirmidhi. Anas radiallahu anhu narrated. The messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would break the fast with fresh dates, meaning rutab, before performing salah. If there were no fresh dates, then he would break the fast with dried dates, which is the common dates that we know, the dried ones. And if there were no dried dates, he will take a few sips of water. For this is the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The next mas'ala is the dua. The dua that the fasting person says when they break their fast. We have the hadith here of Marwan ibn Salim al-Muqaffa' who said, I saw Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma holding his bead with his hand and cutting what exceeded the handful of it. Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said whenever he broke his fast, thirst has gone, the arteries are moist, and the reward is certain or sure, insha'Allah. That's the dua when breaking the fast. ذهب الظما وابتلت العروق وثبت الأجر إن شاء الله. This is the sunnah. What you say when you break your fast. And a lot of people ask, do we say this before we actually break it or after? If you look at the actual dua. It shows that you say it after. So when it's time to break your fast, you say Bismillah as you do whenever you eat or drink. You break your fast, then you recite this dua. Because it says, first has gone. It doesn't make sense to say that before you've broken your fast. First has gone, and the arteries are now moist. Because they've been nourished. Yeah? And the, my reward for fasting is certain, insha'Allah. That's having good thoughts of Allah, that He has accepted my action. That He has accepted my action. There is the common dua that a lot of people practice when breaking their fast. Allahumma laka sumt wa ala rizqika aftart. Yeah? Oh Allah, for you I fast 
and on your sustenance I break my fast. But as the scholars of hadith have mentioned, this hadith is weak, it's not authentic. This is the authentic dua when breaking the fast. Now, طيب. We move on to number four, also from the adab or the manners of fasting, is to be generous while you are fasting and studying the Quran, studying, learning, reading the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, he narrated that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was the most generous of men. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, no one was more generous than him. He said, and he was the most generous during the month of Ramadan, when Jibreel alayhi salam visited him every night and recited the Qur'an to him. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was the most generous of people, but he was most generous in Ramadan. Another great sunnah to implement in Ramadan. People ask, how do I make the most of my Ramadan? This is how. By treating Ramadan the way an Nabi treated it. Learn his sunnah, what he used to do in the blessed month, and you implement it. He used to pray the night, I pray the nights. He used to recite the Qur'an more, I recite the Qur'an. He was most generous in Ramadan, I try to be most generous I can in Ramadan. That's how you take advantage of Ramadan. By implementing as much of the sunnah in Ramadan. And that way you gain as much or the maximum rewards that you can. And Jibreel would visit him, alayhi salam, Every night and recite the Qur'an to him. He said during this period, the generosity of Rasulullah was faster than the rain-bearing wind. His generosity was more and greater than the wind that passes by. How much does the wind reach others? That's how Nabi Wasallam's generosity was in Ramadan. It would reach everyone, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So we are increased. Uh, we are encouraged to increase in generosity throughout the month of Ramadan, and that, my brothers and sisters, in reality, that was the sunnah, not only of an Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam, but when you look into the lives of the companions, they were also like this. They were most generous in the month of Ramadan because they knew the great rewards behind it. Like as we're going to be coming up in, in the talk today, the one who feeds the fasting person or breaks the fast of a fasting person, he receives the same reward as him without their reward being reduced in any way. So the companion, subhanAllah, like Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he was narrated that he would never break his fast on his own. He would always have from the fuqara and the masakin and whoever else with him, and he would break their fast. And the salaf, they used to give 
a lot of wealth in Ramadan so that the poor and the needy can break their fast in Ramadan. Uh, it's, it is without a doubt a great sunnah of Rasulullah and it really shows this type of implementation shows that the ummah is one body because it strives not to leave anyone out on these great occasions. And we've mentioned previously that that's why the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they used to love giving their zakat before Ramadan. Not during Ramadan before. Why? So that the Muslims that are poor in Ramadan don't miss out. They used to give their zakat al-mal before the month of Ramadan. Uh, as generous as you can be in the month, you should be. And there's a lot of ways to be generous. It's not limited to only giving wealth. Even small things, even our sisters, yeah, who might not necessarily have a lot of money or... No one misses out on the rewards. Everyone has the opportunity. Even the leftover food that, mashallah, Muslims tend to have in Ramadan, if you manage to give it to those in need, the Muslims that break fast and whatever else, this gives you that ajr, inshallah. So never consider an action to be too small for Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he does not look at the amount, but he looks at the intention. And he looks at the sincerity. That's what matters to Allah. Allah doesn't need money. And Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't need food. He doesn't need you to give food. He doesn't need you to give money. Allah is the Razzaq, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when we do these actions, it's for ourselves. And Allah Azza wa Jal rewards accordingly. Now, <clears throat> Number five. Increasing worship during the last 10 nights of Ramadan is from the Sunnah. And we all know the greatness and the virtue of the last 10 nights and it's the time where the Muslims go into i'tikaf in the masajid in order to increase in worship. Aisha radiallahu anha narrated that with the start of the last 10 days of Ramadan the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to tighten his waist belt. Whenever the last 10 days entered, and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what did he used to do? Tighten his waist belt. And that has a number of meanings according to the people of knowledge. One of them is that he would refrain from sexual intercourse with his wives. So he's tightened his waist belt. He would refrain from sexual relations with his wife because these 10 nights, he's focusing on worship only, nothing else. Okay? And some of the scholars said this is an expression to mean that he's getting ready for worship. You know, when you tighten your belt, it's like you're getting ready. You're getting ready to act. It's like the one that rolls up his sleeves, for example. Okay? This is how the ulama implemented or interpreted the meaning of this hadith. And he used to stay up praying all the night. Subhanallah, in the last 10 nights. He would stay up praying all the nights. And not only that, he would also wake up his wives to pray and recite. And that shows the Muslim home in Ramadan. It's not about me, myself. No, we should be encouraged 
to implement this as a family. So not only the husband gets up and prays tarawih and qiyam and recites the Qur'an, and the wife doesn't, and vice versa. The wife doesn't get up and do these things, and the husband doesn't. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to wake up his family to tell them, get up and worship Allah azza wa jal. Because these are opportunities that should not be missed. Allah blesses you to make this Ramadan, you can't guarantee you're going to make the next. So you take advantage. And you teach your family to take advantage also. This is what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us. He would not neglect his family. A lot of people do this. Mashallah, the person's upright, but he's neglectful towards the family side. Allah Azza wa Jal says, anfusakum wa nara. Save yourselves and your families from a fire. He doesn't say save yourselves only. Save yourselves and your families. How do I save my family? By advising them, encouraging them. When I worship Allah, I try to help them in doing the same. This is saving yourself and your family. And this is for both the men and the women. The women are encouraged to encourage their husbands just as much as the husband is encouraged to encourage his wife. The fasting person must avoid backbiting and evil speech and lying When you are fasting, you must avoid these things You must avoid these things even But even more when you are fasting We have the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu The Prophet sallallahu said Whoever does not give up false statements, meaning lies, and evil deeds, and speaking bad words to others, then Allah is not in need of him leaving his food and his drink. Look at this hadith. Whoever does not leave off false speech. Qawl al-zur means any type of false speech, whether it's lying, backbiting, cheating. Whoever does not leave off evil speech, وَالْعَمَلُ بِهِ And evil action, then Allah has no need for him to leave his food and his drink. In other words, he's wasting his time. He's wasting his time. And that shows what fasting should bring you. We mentioned last week, the purpose of fasting is what? Taqwa. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ So that you may gain piety. So if a person is fasting, fasting, but throughout their days, they swear, they lie, they cheat, they abuse, they act evil. And upon evil, it's like the Prophet ﷺ is saying, Allah is not going to accept that type of fast. Yeah, Allah has no need for you to leave your food and your drink if you're going to be doing these things. This is what it means. And a lot of people ask that question. If a person lies or speaks or swears or whatever else, does this break the fast? We say no. But it reduces from the rewards. And a person might do it so much that even though they fast, they have no reward for that fast. Yeah? That's the way you look at it. 
So fasting means refraining, if you remember. Abstinence. It's not just from food and drink and sexual intercourse. It's abstaining from haram. And that's why uh, Jabir ibn Abdullah, the great companion, عنه, he said, if you fast, let your tongue fast. And let your eyes fast and let your ears fast. Now, what does that mean? Let your tongue fast, meaning from speaking haram. And let your eyes fast from looking at haram. And let your ears fast from listening to haram. That's how the Sahaba understood fasting. Not, wallah, I'm not eating and I'm not drinking, but doing everything else throughout the day of Ramadan. What kind of reward is the person expecting? Nabi Sallallahu said, Allah is not in need of him leaving his food and his drink. It's like it's a waste. Now, we now move on to the things which are permissible for the fasting person to do. And this is an important part of our course because it should answer, inshallah, most of the questions that people usually ask. Are we allowed to do this while we are fasting? And are we allowed to do that? So we're going to have a list of things that you can do and then there's a list of things that you cannot do while fasting. First and foremost, from the things that are halal, permissible to do when you are fasting, number one is to have a shower or ghusl. You are allowed to have a shower while you are fasting, regardless if it's a shower of worship, such as from sexual intercourse before fajr, or if it's due to a wet dream, or if it's on Friday, before Jum'ah, or if it's just merely to cool down or to get clean. You're allowed to have any type of shower while you are fasting. This does not break the fast. And it is also permissible for the person to pour water over his head if he's hot, to cool down. Or if he's very thirsty, he's allowed to pour water over his head. And we have a number of ahadith to support this. We have the hadith narrated a companion of Rasulullah Abu Bakr ibn Abdul Rahman reported on the authority of a companion of Rasulullah who said, I saw the Prophet commanding the people while he was traveling on the occasion of the conquest of Mecca, not to observe fast. And he said, be strong for your enemy. But the Prophet ﷺ fasted himself. So in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ told the Sahaba and ordered them to break their fast before jihad, so that they can be strong for the enemy, even though the Prophet ﷺ himself remained fasting. Because no one was like Rasulullah He had the strength of 30 men in one hadith, in another hadith, 40 men. So Al-Nabi was very strong. Yeah? He was very strong, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We have the hadith of Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu, who said, a man who narrated his tradition to me said, I have seen Rasulullah in Al-Araj, 
pouring water over his head while he was fasting, either because of thirst or because of heat. So here, and Nabi Sallallahu was fasting and he was pouring water over his head. So this is permissible. Some people have an extreme paranoia when they're fasting. Even when they make wudu, they make sure they're making wudu like this. This is not from the sunnah. You still put water in your mouth, but you do not go excessive as the hadith says. Yeah? Uh, having water over your head, having a shower, and washing your face, cooling down, this is all permissible. It is all allowed when you are fasting. Aisha, the wife of the Messenger وسلم, also said, the dawn broke upon the Prophet Yani Fajr entered during Ramadan when he was in a state of janaba. Not because of sexual dream. She said it wasn't because of a wet dream, meaning it was because of intimacy with her. But that shows her shyness. Radiallahu anha. Aisha is narrating this hadith, telling us what? That Fajr entered in Ramadan and the Prophet woke up after Fajr and he was in a state of janaba, meaning he needed to have a shower. But because of her haya, her shyness, radiallahu anha, she didn't openly say we were intimate, but she hinted it by saying he was in a state of janaba, but it wasn't from a wet dream. So what's she saying? It was because we were intimate. So the Prophet ﷺ woke up, he washed himself, and he observed fast. The hadith is in Sahih Muslim. This answers that commonly asked question. Some people ask, if I need to have a shower, am I allowed to wake up after Fajr in Ramadan and shower? The answer is yes. This does not break your fast. Here, the Prophet ﷺ woke up after Fajr in a state of Janaba. He had a shower and he observed his fast. So it's not a condition you make ghusl before Fajr. It's not a condition that you make ghusl before Fajr in order for your fast to be correct. If you woke up after the Adhan and you needed to shower and you showered, your fasting is still correct. Is that understood? Tayyip. Number two. To wake up after Adhan of Fajr in a state of Janaba is allowed due to that same hadith, as we just mentioned. You are allowed to wake up after Fajr in a state of Janaba, meaning needing to have a shower. There's no harm. Number three, from the things that are allowed for the fasting person is to rinse the mouth and the nose in wudu without exaggeration. You're allowed to rinse your mouth and your nose, but with no exaggeration. It was narrated from Asim ibn Laqit ibn Sabira that his father said, I said, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, tell me about wudu. Inform me about wudu. So the Prophet ﷺ said, perform wudu well, meaning properly, and exaggerate, balig, 
exaggerate in sniffing water up your nose unless you are fasting. So that shows when you are fasting, you do not sniff water up your nose excessively. You do it lightly, that's all. You still do it. And you have to do it. Part of the wudu. But you do it lightly. You do not make it excessively. What do we understand from this? That sniffing up the nose reaches the throat and it breaks the wudu. So people, and the reason why we mention that is because people ask that common question. Like nose sprays. Can we take nose sprays in Ramadan? No. Because here, and Nabi Sallallahu is stopping us from sniffing water through the nose while we are fasting. So if the water is not allowed, everything else is not allowed. Understood? So that's to answer that question regarding nose sprays. It's not allowed during the fasting, and Allah knows best. Number four, from the things that are allowed, is wearing kuhul, eyeliner, and eye drops also is permissible. Aisha radiallahu anha narrated that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam applied kuhul to his eyes while he was fasting. And the eye drops take the same ruling. That shows that if something goes through the eye, it's permissible. It does not break the fast. Some people ask about the ease, e-drops. You sometimes taste it. The ulama of our times have given the fatwa, e-drops are permissible. They don't break the fast even if the person tastes it. Because it's going through the ease. The only thing that's not allowed is the nose. Wallahu a'lam. Number five Kissing and embracing For the one who is able To control himself This is allowed It's permissible For the husband and the wife To kiss and embrace If they are able to control themselves And able to control themselves Means That it's not going to there's no risk that they're going to fall into sexual intercourse because that's haram, major sin while you are fasting. And also control themselves, it's not going to make them ejaculate. This is what it means, control themselves. And we get this from the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. She said the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam used to kiss his wives while fasting. And embraced them while fasting But he had the greatest mastery Or yani, control over his desire among you Look at Aisha radiallahu anha. It's like she's saying She's not saying it to everyone to do it She's saying yes The Prophet kissed his wives And that shows you her haya again Her modesty She's not openly saying what Yeah the Prophet used to kiss me and embrace him, even though she's talking about herself. She said he would kiss and embrace his wives. See how beautiful her shyness and her modesty is. She said he would kiss and embrace his wives while he was fasting, 
But then she also elaborated and she added to that, but he was the most control of his desires. He was the strongest in control of his desires. So what does that teach us, my brothers and sisters? The one who cannot control themselves should not do it. The one who cannot control themselves should not kiss and embrace their wife or vice versa, the husband. And the meaning of embrace in this hadith, so kissing and embracing. What is the meaning of embrace? It means touching other than the private part. That's what embracing means. So it's allowed. Touching as long as the private part is avoided. Aisha radiallahu anha was asked specifically, what is forbidden for me with my wife while I am fasting? What is forbidden for me with my wife while I am fasting? She replied, her private part. That's what's not allowed. General, her private part. Anything got to do with that is not allowed. As for hugging, kissing and whatever else, if the person has control, it's all permissible and it does not break the fast. Number six. Also another important point regarding our times. Needles and injections. Needles are permissible when you are fasting. As long as they are not needles which substitute food or drink. What does that mean? I'm getting an injection. If this injection does not play the role of food or drink, then my fasting is okay. But if the injection plays the role of food or drink, my fast is broken. Like injections that have vitamins, nutrients... Anything that plays the role of food. When you eat, you get vitamins. So if the injection gives you vitamins, it breaks your fast. But some injections are not for that. Like, wallahu a'lam, a cortisone injection. It's not, it's not playing the role of food or drink. It's not giving you nutrients. It's okay. Anesthetic. Like some people that go to a dentist, they're going to get an injection for the pain. Like a local anesthetic. No problem. It's not playing the role of food or drink. So if you're getting an injection in Ramadan, that's what you should ask. Is this something that's giving me provision? Is, is it something that's giving sustenance, nutrients, the way food or drink does? If the answer is yes, it breaks the fast. If no, it does not break the fast. Shaykhul Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah said, and the more apparent, is that these things, meaning needles and kuhul, do not break the fast. That's the opinion of Shaykhul Islam ibn Taymiyyah and many of our ulama. Number seven, hijama. Doing hijama when fasting does not break your fast. And there's somewhat of a conflict on this mas'ala and we will see why this wallahu alam is the more correct of the opinions. We have the hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu. He was asked whether they disliked the cupping of a fasting person. So Anas the companion was asked, do you dislike for someone fasting to do hijama? And Anas said, no, we don't dislike it. Meaning it's okay. He said only 
if it causes weakness. Meaning, if a person's going to get weak and ill while they're fasting to do it, it's better not to. But if they're not and they're strong and they're capable, there's no harm in them doing hijama, cupping, while they are fasting. If you go to the next page, the hadith in Bukhari, Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhumah narrated, the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had himself cupped when he was fasting. The hadith, the Prophet sallallahu done hijama when he was fasting. Okay, then why is there a conflict? If the Sahaba said we have no issue with it, Anas ibn Malik said we have no problem with it. The hadith in Bukhari and Nabi sallallahu done hijama himself when he was fasting. Why is there a conflict? We have a, because there's another hadith. Look here. As for the hadith where the Prophet sallallahu said he has broken his fast, the one who does hijama and the one who gets it done. Hadith, the one who cups and the one who gets it done both break their fast. Now we see why there's a conflict of opinion. And alhamdulillah in Islam, always remember, there's no such thing as contradiction. And this is what fiqh is all about. Fiqh is about combining the proofs in order to come up with the correct conclusion. That's how you understand Islam. The Shaykh says here, this last hadith is abrogated, mansukh, as Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah mentioned. Because in Islam, hadiths abrogate other hadiths, meaning they wipe them away. So this hadith here, that says the, 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 the kappa, the one who cups and the one who gets it done break their fast, that was abrogated by the other ahadith. Okay? The other ahadith came after it. So they abrogated this hadith. As Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah mentioned, this hadith is abrogated by the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri where he said, the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave concession for the fasting person to perform hijama and this hadith is authentic as I have previously shown. These are the words of Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah. So it is permissible for the person to do hijama while they are fasting and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Number eight, it is also permissible for the fasting person to do that which cannot be avoided, such as swallowing saliva. Some people have waswas, excessive thinking. Yeah, and doubt Where subhanallah they swallow their just normal saliva In Ramadan and they start questioning Man, did I break my fast? Is my fast correct? This does not break your fast Because even swallowing your saliva is something you can't avoid Islam does not overburden us Yeah, Islam is pure Islam is realistic it does not burden a person more than they can handle. Can you imagine, we said, or the ulama said, swallowing your saliva breaks your fast. Allahu Akbar, how are you going to live? People try to stop breathing. So that they don't swallow. No, swallowing your saliva and whatever else because it's too difficult to avoid. 
So it's all permissible, inshallah, and it does not break the fast. Number nine is using the siwak. Uh, the siwak to clean your teeth. This is permissible when fasting. And that is due to the generality of the hadiths. The generality of the hadiths. Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he narrated that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, were it not that I would be overburdening my ummah, my community, I would have ordered them to use the siwak. So the Prophet ﷺ here is saying, if it was not going to overburden my ummah, I would have ordered them to do it. But he knew that this could be a burden, so he did not. That shows the importance and the recommendation of using the siwak. Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah, under this hadith, he said he did not specify the fasting person from others. So the Prophet ﷺ did not say, I would have ordered my ummah unless they're fasting. He just said, I would have ordered my ummah. So that shows that there's no harm in the fasting person using the siwak. And Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, he said, he meaning the, the fasting person, he may use the siwak morning and evening. That's the fatwa of the Sahaba. And toothbrush, my brothers and sisters, takes the same ruling. As we mentioned previously. The next mas'ala. Is it permissible to taste the food while fasting? Is it permissible to taste food? While fasting And by tasting food What this refers to Is for a reason Like the mother or the, the female That's cooking Preparing the food for her family At iftar time and whatever else Is it permissible to taste? Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal Rahimahullah said It is more beloved to me To avoid tasting food Okay, Imam Ahmad is saying it's more beloved to me to avoid it, but if it is done, there is no harm. But if it is done, there is no harm. To slightly taste, to see if the food is, if it needs salt, if it has too much salt, or whatever else. So, Imam Ahmad here, beautiful answer. Better to avoid, but if it's done out of a need or a necessity. There's no harm, it does not break the fast. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma said, There's no harm if he or she tastes the food. For example, vinegar and anything else he wishes to buy. So Ibn Abbas did not limit it just to the preparing of food. He even mentioned it for when someone is buying food. They want to give it a small taste to see if it's good or whatever else before they buy it. According to Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, this is permissible. In other words, there's a need. Not, well, I'm going to taste the food because I'm hungry. No. Right, Yusuf? Inta, you don't taste the food. <laughs> you eat it regardless. Shaykhul Islam ibn Taymi rahimahullah said, Tasting food for no need is makruh. Tasting food for no need is makruh. 
but it doesn't break the fast. As for a need, then it is like gargling water during wudu, meaning it's permissible. It's permissible. So generally, my brothers and sisters, if it can be avoided, it's better. But if the person feels that there's a need to taste it, to see if anything's missing or whatever else, then, inshallah, there's no harm. So these are some of the commonly asked questions regarding what is permissible to do when we are fasting. We now move on to another important point, and that is things which break the fast. The things which break the fast. And it's important we learn this so that we can protect our fast, and that our fast is correct. The first thing that breaks the fast, my brothers and sisters, is eating and drinking intentionally through the mouth or through needles. Eating and drinking intentionally breaks the fast, regardless if it's from the mouth or through injections. That breaks the fast. He says, but if a person eats or drinks unintentionally due to forgetfulness, this does not break the fast and he does not have to make up for the day or pay the penalty. That's if a person eats or drinks out of forgetfulness. Another commonly asked question. It's the day of Ramadan and a person ate or drank while they are fasting out of forgetfulness. They drank or they ate and then they remembered, oops, I'm fasting. Does this break the fast? No. You continue fasting. Do you need to make up that day again after? No, your fasting is correct. Do you need to pay a penalty? No, your fasting is correct. Anyone who eats or drinks during the day of Ramadan out of forgetfulness does not need to do anything. They continue fasting and their fast is accepted. Where do we get this from? The hadith here in Bukhari. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu narrated that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, if somebody eats something forgetfully while he is fasting, then he should complete his fast. Why? He said, for it is Allah azza wa jal who made him eat and drink. Allah. It's like a gift from Allah. Consider that forgetful moment a gift from Allah. Allah is the one that gave you that food or that drink when you forgot. So don't feel guilty about it. But, not wallah, I forgot and I'm drinking, then as I'm drinking I remember and I keep going. No. Now you're cheating. But if a person genuinely forgot and ate or drank, no matter how much, inshallah they ate an entire lamb. Or they drank an entire gallon. If it was out of forgetfulness, does not affect your fast. And that day is counted. 
Good. If the food is in your mouth or the drink is in your mouth and then you remember while it's in your mouth, yes, you spit it. That is the correct thing to do. Number two. From the things that break the fast, my brothers and sisters, is vomiting, but intentional vomiting. So what does that mean? Vomiting unintentionally does not break your fast. Someone might be fasting and then they feel sick and unintentionally they vomit. But they want to continue fasting, they can. The fasting is correct. But a person who vomits intentionally, whether it's by putting their hands in their mouth or any other means, intentional vomiting breaks the fast. Unintentional vomiting does not break the fast. Ibn al-Mundir Rahimahullah said, there is consensus amongst the scholars that whoever intentionally vomits, then his fasting is invalid. So Ibn al-Mundir here, he mentioned it is consensus. Consensus means there's no difference of opinion. Someone might ask, okay, what's their proof? Is there a hadith that says if you vomit intentionally, it breaks your fast? No, there's no hadith. Okay, so why does it break the fast? Because the ulama said it's consensus. What does that mean? It means the scholars agreed on it and there's no difference of opinion. Is that a proof? Yes. Because the proof in Islam comes from what? The Quran, the Sunnah. The statement of the companions and ijma'. Ijma' is a proof. So when the ulama say there's ijma' on this mas'ala, meaning consensus, all the scholars agreed on it, that's a hujjah, that's a proof. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith, he said, my ummah will not make consensus on falsehood. So if the ummah has made consensus on something, even if there's no hadith on that mas'ala, but the ummah has done consensus, the ulama of Islam made consensus on it, that's a proof, and we can't oppose it. Because ijma' is one of the dalils after the kitab and the sunnah. You have ijma'. This is where this proof is derived from. Number three, the things that break the fast. Menstruation and postnatal bleeding. If they occur even moments before sunset. Even moments before sunset. If a lady gets her menses or a lady gives birth and she's bleeding her postnatal bleeding, all of this breaks the fast. Number four, sexual intercourse. My brothers and sisters, breaks the fast. And not only does it break the fast, this one in particular has a severe punishment and penalty to pay. Okay? A severe punishment and penalty to pay. We have the hadith here. Abu Hurairah. Radiallahu anhu narrates 
that a man came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I am ruined. Meaning, I've destroyed myself. So the Prophet said, what's wrong with you? What's the matter? So the man said, I had sexual intercourse with my wife while I was fasting in Ramadan. In other words, I done it intentionally. Because he knows. That's why he's coming and telling the Prophet I'm ruined. I had sexual relations with my wife in Ramadan while I was fasting. So then the Prophet asked him, now he's telling him he has to pay the penalty. So he asked him, have you got enough money to free a slave? So that's the first thing he has to do. For the action of intercourse while fasting. He told him, do you have enough money to free a slave? So the man said no. So then the Prophet ﷺ asked him, are you able to fast two successive months? Can you fast? 60 days in a row So then the man said no I'm not physically capable in doing that So then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked him Can you feed 60 poor people? So the man said no I can't afford it To feed 60 poor people So then the Prophet Sallallahu told this man Sit down He told him what? To sit And he sat down Then afterwards A irq Which is a big basket of dates Was brought to the Prophet They got the Prophet A big basket of dates So then the Prophet Said to this man Take this and go give it in charity So then the man Look what he asked the Prophet He said, Ya Rasulullah, should I give it to someone who's more poor than me? Because he was a poor man. He said, this basket of dates, do I give it to someone more poor than me and my family? So the Prophet laughed until his teeth showed and then he told him, go feed your family with it. What an astonishing hadith. He done the sin he had to pay the penalty and the penalty came to him. Look at the mercy of Rasulullah. Subhanallah. Amazing. And we people ask, not us, people ask, how do you consider him to be the greatest man? No one dealt with the people like this except the Prophet. This is mercy, forgiveness, compassion. More than can be shown by anyone. And this is coming from the leader of mankind. Sayyid al-Mursaleen, the leader of messengers and prophets sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this shows the penalty, my brothers and sisters, and it shows that it is a huge and a major sin for the person who has sexual intercourse while they are fasting. The Sheikh continues and he says, But if he has sexual intercourse by mistake, while forgetting that he is fasting in Ramadan, there is no penalty upon him 
nor does he have to make up for the day. Because it's like forgetting, eating and drinking. If a person has sexual relations, out of forgetfulness, there's no penalty to pay and he doesn't have to make up the day, even though this is very difficult to happen. Since if one forgets, the other partner should remember, as Sheikh Al-Albani rahimahullah said. In other words, it's very, very unlikely that a couple are going to engage in sexual intercourse in the day of Ramadan and they've both forgotten that it's Ramadan and they're both fasting. If one forgets, the other will remind. But if it happens... Forgetfulness, there's no penalty and the day does not need to be remade. Al-Hasan al-Basri and Mujahid rahimahumullah both said if he has sexual intercourse forgetfully, there is nothing upon him. Related to this comes a question. Who must pay the penalty? Husband and wife. Both had sexual intercourse who pays the penalty? Do they both pay the penalty? Does the husband pay the penalty? Or does the wife pay the penalty? The scholars differed as to who must pay the penalty and the correct opinion, and Allah knows best, is that it is obligatory upon the man alone and not the woman. Because if you look at the hadith, the command was directed to the man and not the lady. In that hadith we just read, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, have you got enough to free a slave? He didn't ask him, do you or your wife have enough to free a slave? Yeah? And he said no. And then he asked the man, can you fast two months? He didn't say, can you or your wife fast? That's where these scholars derived that ruling. Some scholars said it's obligatory on both. But because of the wording in this hadith, some scholars said no, it's only on the man, and that's what is obligatory. And that seems to be the more correct opinion, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Another mas'ala, the penalty must be in the order mentioned in the hadith. What does that mean? You can't pick which one you want to do. Free a slave, fast 60 days, feed 60... No. It's not a choice, it's aura. So the first thing the person who fell into this must do, if they can, is free a slave. And freeing a slave in this day and age is very hard. If possible, Allah. Our scholars overseas, this is what we learn, Wallahu a'lam, from our ulama. They said it's merely impossible today to free a Muslim slave because slavery does not exist anymore except in certain parts of the world. Some of my teachers mentioned like Mauritania, there continues to be Muslim slaves and if a person is able to free a slave from there, then how hard and difficult is it going to be? So if a person can't do that, then they must do the next action, which is what? Fasting two months. And you have to, if you're able. It's not a choice. Fasting two months. Only if the person is not able to do it, 
then can they and they must feed 60 poor people they feed 60 poor people he says the penalty must be performed in the order mentioned in the hadith so first he must free a slave and if he can't then he fasts two months consecutively and if he can't then he feeds 60 poor people Ibn Khuzayma rahimahullah said in his book chapter it is obligatory upon the one who has sexual intercourse during Ramadan to free a slave if he can't then fast two months and if he can't then to feed 60 poor people another question does the penalty multiply if the sexual intercourse multiplies Allahumustaan <laughs> some people are going to be in huge debt <laughs> if they're doing the action more than once intentionally huh? he says if the sexual intercourse multiplies on different days in Ramadan we understand from that if it multiplies on the same day, it's one penalty. But if it multiplies on different days, then the penalty multiplies. Because every day is a separate worship. Every day is a separate worship, as mentioned by some of the scholars. And the Sheikh says, not my words, the Sheikh, Wallahu Alam, is the correct opinion. And then we say in this mas'ala, the penalty is not obligatory on the one who is not capable of it. If a person cannot do any of those things, then the penalty is lifted from them. And they repent from the sin. Ibn Khuzayma, rahimahullah, said, the evidence that the one who has sexual intercourse during Ramadan, if he has enough to feed 60 people but does not have enough for himself and his family then the penalty is not obligatory upon him that's what Imam Ibn Khuzayma titled his chapter so basically what he's saying here a person had sexual intercourse during Ramadan and he has enough food only for himself and his family he's got enough for his family then he doesn't pay the penalty. Because if he gives that to the 60 poor people, he leaves himself and his family with no food. Islam does not ask you ever to do that. That's why in the hadith of Abu Hurairah, what did the man say? The Prophet ﷺ gave him the basket, he told him, go give it in charity. So the man said to someone poorer than us, so the Prophet ﷺ told him, feed your family. So that shows if you have enough only for yourself, you don't give that away. Okay? That's a general principle. And then Imam ibn Khuzayma used that same proof, the hadith of Abu Hurairah. On the next page, is it permissible to fast the two months separately? Or must the fasting be done consecutively? The person who had sexual intercourse during Ramadan intentionally do they have to fast the two months right after one another or can they do them separately 
it is not permissible to fast them separately due to the previous hadith. Because the Prophet ﷺ asked him, can you fast two successive months? So that shows they must be two months in order. You can't do one month here and then one month later. You can't do one day today and then another day after. No. It must be two full straight months. Must be two full straight months. The next mas'ala. The one who has sexual intercourse and cannot pay the penalty is commanded to make up for the day which they had sexual intercourse throughout. So if someone had sexual intercourse intentionally, but they cannot pay the penalty, like someone that's poor that we mentioned, what must they do? Make up for that day. They still make up for that day in which they had sexual intercourse throughout it. Abu Huraira narrated that a man came to the Messenger <coughs> and he had sexual intercourse with his wife during Ramadan and the Prophet said to him, fast a day and seek forgiveness from Allah. Because the Prophet knew he can't do the penalty. That man can't do the penalty. So the Prophet told him, fast a day and seek forgiveness for this major sin that you've committed. We then move on, because it is the topic of sexual intercourse, we move on to the other, to the uh, mas'ala related to that, and that is, does ejaculation due to touching one's wife, meaning ejaculation from other than sexual intercourse, such as touching the wife, or masturbation, does this break the fast? Does this break the fast? We know that masturbation is a sin. This is not what we're talking about. Masturbation is haram and it's not allowed. But for argument's sake, someone committed that sin in Ramadan and ejaculated. Does that break the fast? There is a difference of an opinion between the ulama. Here, Sayyid Sabiq, rahimahullah, one of the ulama, he said, what breaks the fast? So from the things that break the fast is ejaculation, regardless if it is due to kissing the wife or embracing her or with the hand. All of this breaks the fast and he must make up for that day. Sayyid Sabiq rahimahullah here is giving us the opinion of the majority of the scholars. And by the majority we even include the four madhabs. All of them. The Hanafi, the Shafi'i, the Maliki and the Hanbali. They all agreed that if a person ejaculates intentionally in the day of Ramadan, even if it's not from sexual intercourse, it breaks the fast. But they're not paying the penalty like the one who had sexual intercourse. Remember, 
the penalty of fasting two months and whatever else is only for sexual intercourse. Don't get the two confused. Okay? So the penalty is only for sexual intercourse. But ejaculating intentionally in the day of Ramadan breaks the fast. But the person only has to remake it. They're not paying a penalty. They have to redo the day. If they ejaculate intentionally. And we mention that is the opinion of the majority of the scholars. And they use this proof. It's not mentioned here. But their proof is the hadith. And that hadith is a general hadith. Meaning it's not specific in the detail of the mas'ala. And the hadith they use in, in proof is when Allah talks about the fasting person, He says He leaves His food, His drink, and His desire for my sake. He leaves His food and His drink and His desire for my sake. That is the proof that the majority of scholars used to say that ejaculating breaks the fast. We say majority because there is a second opinion, my brothers and sisters. If you look here, at the bottom of page 21, Shaykh al-Albani, rahimahullah, he said, there is no proof that these things break the fast. And putting them in the same category as sexual intercourse is not correct. Which is why Imam al-San'ani rahimahullah said, and the more apparent view is that he does not have to make up for the day or pay the penalty except for the one who has sexual intercourse. So this side of the scholars say there is no proof which states that ejaculating breaks the fast. To this side of scholars, the hadith that the majority used is not enough. They said that this is Allah Azza wa Jal just telling us that the fasting person his reward is with Allah because he avoids these things. But it's not saying that if a person ejaculates, it breaks the fast. And they said you can't put ejaculating in the same category as sexual intercourse. This is the opinion of these scholars. And do not ask me what the correct opinion is. Allah Azza wa Jal knows best and a person follows what they believe to be correct but keep in mind that they all agree the action of masturbating regardless fasting or not fasting is haram it's not allowed in Islam but we are talking about what breaks fast and doesn't the majority say yes it does and that's including all the madhabs and then you have a small number of scholars who say, no, it doesn't. From them is Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah, from the Zahiriya Madhab. And Allah knows best. The next mas'ala, 
is making up for days missed in Ramadan. Making up for days missed in Ramadan. So if someone has missed days in Ramadan, how they make them up? He says, whoever breaks their fast for an Islamic reason must make up for it. Whoever breaks their fast for an Islamic reason. Like what? Who can give me an Islamic reason to break fast? Excellent. Traveling. Anything else? Sick. Huh? It's an Islamic reason. Whoever breaks their fast for an Islamic reason must make up for it. Like the lady who menstruates. She doesn't fast. She makes up for it. In Ar-Rawda An-Nadiyya, which is a book, he says it is obligatory upon whoever breaks their fast for an Islamic reason to make up for it, such as the traveler and the Sikh. And the Quran is clear on this matter. Allah Azza wa Jal says, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَّامٍ أُخَرٍ Whoever among you is ill or on a journey, then an equal number of days are to be made up. Allah says, whoever is sick or on a journey makes up an equal number of days. So when should the days of Ramadan be made up? When should you make up your best days? Ibn Kathir rahimahullah said regarding that previous verse, is it obligatory to make them up consecutively or is one allowed to split them up? Meaning I have five days owing, do I have to do them in a row? Or can I do them separately? One day today, one day to, uh, next week, and so forth. He says there are two opinions. Number one, it is obligatory to fast them consecutively with Ramadan because the qada is like the ada. Because Ramadan, you fast it consecutively. That means when you miss days, you fast them consecutively. That's an opinion for some scholars. The second opinion, it's not obligatory to fast them consecutively, meaning you can split them up. If he wishes, he can, and if he doesn't want to do them consecutively, he doesn't have to. And that is the opinion of the majority of the Salaf and the Khalaf, and it is the stronger opinion. If you have days owing, you don't have to do them in a row. You can split them up throughout the year. Aisha radiallahu anha said, I used to have days owing from Ramadan, and I would not be able to make up for them except in the month of Sha'ban. So she used to make up her days in the month of Sha'ban before Ramadan. And due to the generality of the verse, an equal number of days. Allah said equal number of days. So five days, five days, four days, four days, three days, three days. He didn't say consecutively. He just said make up an equal number of days. The last mas'ala, the last matter we take today, my dear brothers and sisters, does the person who broke his fast intentionally have to make up for it? Meaning for no valid reason. A person who breaks his fast for no Islamic reason, do they have to make up for the days they missed? Sheikh al-Albani rahimahullah said, the apparent view, which is also the view of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, who said, the one who purposely breaks his prayer or fast cannot make up for it and it is not accepted from him. 
This is very dangerous. This is regarding the ones who intentionally don't fast for no Islamic reason. They cannot make up for that day and even if they fasted it, it's not accepted from them. And the salah and the psalm is exactly the same. Whoever intentionally missed the prayer can never make up for it. Even if he prayed it a thousand times, he will not be rewarded for it. He says, and this is the opinion of who? Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, Umar ibn al-Khattab, Ali ibn Abi Talib, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Abu Huraira. Shaykh al-Islam said, so return to them. The one who intentionally misses his fast cannot make up for it. And we tell them, you don't make up for it. That's it, you've missed it. And that's a punishment in itself. That you cannot make up for it. Someone asks that common question. I never used to fast before in my jahili. I had to fast, but I never used to fast. Do I have to make up for them? Some scholars will say, yes, you do. Others, on this opinion, will say you can't make up for them. But to save yourself, the best thing that you should be doing is making up for that sin by increasing in sunnah. So you fast your sunnah days, Mondays, Thursdays, and whatever else. And by doing sunnah, this inshallah makes up for what you've intentionally missed over the years or whatever else from the days that you intentionally did not fast. Inshallah, this is understandable. But you will have some mashayikh or ulama who say no. If you intentionally didn't fast, you have to make up for each one of those days. But as Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah said no. You can't make up for them. And that's the opinion of those great companions of Rasulullah Prayers as well. Exactly. You make up for your your years or days that you never prayed intentionally, those prayers are gone. You can't make them up. But you make up for it in terms of doing the right thing by Allah Azza wa Jal by increasing in Sunnah. By increasing in Sunnah. The last mas'ala, that was the second last I should have said. The last mas'ala is the encouragement of feeding a fasting person. As much as you can Feed a fasting person, my brothers and sisters. You're encouraged. We have the hadith of Zayd ibn Khalid al-Juhani radiallahu anhu that the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, whoever provides the food for a fasting person to break with his fast or to break his fast with, then for him is the same reward. You get the same reward. If you give a piece of date, or some water to the fasting person for them to break their fast, you get all of that person's reward of fasting without their reward being reduced in any way. What an amazing reward. So we should be encouraged to break people's fast. To break people's fast, give food, give drink, give water and whatever else, and you get the ajr. And for those who have visited countries and Muslim lands and whatever else, you would know what I'm talking about. If anyone is blessed, inshallah, with doing Umrah in Ramadan, you will witness it with your eyes. For example, in Saudi Arabia, 
Saudi Arabia, you have people who feed the, the fasting people. And we're not talking they feed one or two people. They lay out food in the Haramain, for example, in the Prophet's masjid and in Mecca, in the hundreds and thousands. And they do it every day in the month of Ramadan. And anyone just goes, sits down and breaks their fast. Anyone can break their fast in Saudi Arabia. Even the local masajid, they all put food for the fasting people. And even if people are driving at the time of Maghrib, you find young children who their parents have made packages of dates and yoga and water and whatever else, giving out to people on traffic. Everyone trying to reap the reward. It's amazing. Yeah? Because the person that breaks their fast on your food or drink, you receive their reward. But we should be encouraged to implement this great sunnah bi'ithnillah. And this ends our short two-day course, my dear brothers and sisters. And remember, this was only a, a refreshment. This is not covering every aspect, every detail of siyam. The books of fiqh are huge. For you to increase and to get understanding and whatever else, it's your duty as a student of knowledge to research, to sit in durus, to attend lectures, and to cover the works of the scholars on chapters like fasting and whatever else. Wallahu a'lam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala nabina Muhammad. This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahl Sunnah Wal Jama'ah.